This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 117, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Again, glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. This is a podcast that looks at different issues uh, about the uh, Bible itself. It could be a different topic. Last time we covered the abortion issue. Um, But really, we're mainly concerned about what the Bible has to say about each of these issues, each of these subjects, and today will be no different as Pastor Strobel brings us Noah, Daniel, and Job. But let's introduce the pastors. First of all, we've got Pastor Steve and Bear out of um, Buffalo area, who was not with us last time because he was at a high school reunion. And Steve, was that your third or fourth high school reunion? What, what What's happening there? Well, it certainly wasn't my 80th, as uh, <laughs> someone, I think, tried to in- intimate. Uh, no, it was my 50th uh, high school reunion, and uh, there was, uh, I think, uh, 41 people there, obviously a lot of people out of town, and obviously the uh, uh, inflation, gas prices, and all that prevented a lot of people from being able to travel distances and so forth, but it was a good time, had a good opportunity to talk with a number of people, connect again with with people that I remember, and then also see faces that I did not remember and and uh, just having a chance to get back and and talk with them. So it was a good time. Now, were any was anyone surprised? Because obviously, when you're high school, you weren't a uh, Baptist preacher. Was anyone surprised no. that uh, you are now? But, but yeah, there there <laughs> when I when I mentioned that I was a Baptist preacher, you know, all of us are asking what they're doing now and all that kind of stuff, and mentioned I was a Baptist preacher. Uh, many of them said, oh, and uh, just kind of uh, found another way to another conversation and so mm-hmm. forth, which really I expected and so forth. But there were there were still some people that, that were genuinely interested and and I had a chance to talk to a few people and, uh, you know, talk to them about the Lord. They, I don't know if they thought I was a good luck charm or whatever, but they asked me to pray for the facility, for the, for the ongoings and so forth. And I had to Amen. be really careful in how I prayed and what I prayed because I didn't want to bring the Lord in on, on things that uh, obviously he wasn't, uh, wouldn't be too interested in. But, but all in all, it was, it was a good time and enjoyed myself. I know the, it wasn't the 50th, but it could be uh, the last high school reunion I went to. I was just amazed that there's a lot of old people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, yes, it was old people. Uh, <laughs> I like to think I was the youngest looking one in the bunch, yeah. but uh, I can't, I can't verify that one. That's what I, that's what I think too, until I look in the mirror sometimes and go, oh man, what happened to you? But it, uh, you know, happens to all of us, right? Well, that well, was some, the first reunion. People... That... Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. I was going to say some people, you know, you just remember them from high school. Like, you know, yeah. I haven't seen some people for 20 some years. And then you see maybe just a picture of them online or something. You're like, whoa, 
<laughs> you're trying to like because because the last picture you have of them is like the yearbook picture right and then you, and then yes. you see them you're like whoa what happened you know that was the shock. That was the shock. That was the first reunion that I'd been back to. So, wow. uh, you know, all the way up through all of the other ones. And, and so I had no reference. And like Matt said, I was looking through the yearbook and there were only a couple of people that I could recognize from the yearbook that, that looked somewhat like what they looked like uh, 50 years later. So, Except for you. Uh, <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt chimed in. Uh, Matt. Sutton, a pastor up in the uh, Arctic um, of Alaska. How are you today? Doing good. We got a lot coming up. We got uh, Vacation Bible School is going to be starting on uh, this coming Wednesday. And then a week after that, we've got uh, teen camp coming up too. So just a lot to prepare for. We're going out there uh, every other day right now and working on a lot of things get damaged out at the teen camp. It's about 14 miles down the beach. Uh, we take uh, four wheelers down there and uh, get it all set up. We got two cabins and a platform to put the preaching tent on, so we're pretty excited about it. We got um, Angelo Serino. He's coming in from well, he's already in Alaska now from Italy, and uh, one of the missionaries that our teen class supports. And so we're excited to have him come and preach. So looking forward to it all. Amen, amen. How's Angelo doing? I haven't talked to him in a long time. He's doing good. He's doing really good. So they. They had a little trouble getting here with, of course, all the flights being canceled. They were stuck in, unfortunately, they were stuck in Chicago for at least a day. Chicago, I think, is one of the worst airports, yeah, <laughs> but uh, they were stuck there and somewhere else, too, but they got here fine, so uh, things are going well at the church uh, there in Italy, so they're doing well. All right. Good to hear. Glad to hear. Thanks for the update. And speaking of uh, young-looking... Um, no, I'm not talking about Steve right now. I'm talking about Pastor Scott Strobel out of Lockport, New York. Pastor Strobel, you have you had a reunion lately? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, we've had maybe a couple that I've been aware of through the years, two or three, but I have not been able to get out to any of them. Um, so maybe one day. Yeah, and you'll see a bunch of old people in your reunion as well. <laughs> we start to get used to Although some some of the folks looked to me they did, like they hadn't changed much, and then others had like, wow, I, I don't think I would have recognized you before. And they were probably saying the same thing about me that I have no no hair anymore, <laughs> look a little bit different, actually quite a bit different. So how are things in Lockport? Uh, going well. We've been keeping ourselves uh, busy. The Lord's been keeping us busy, and we had um, a couple of our. Uh, folks back earlier in the year. Well, actually, it happened uh, right after Christmas. Uh, they got sick, and long story short, they they didn't know for a while, but they they both had COVID. They got some bad advice and information, um, and they were both really in really bad shape. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. I remember talking with the lady to, on the phone, and it just sounded absolutely horrible and awful. <laughs> she wound up recovering, but her husband did not, and he passed away at the end of um, January. And at that point, there were still a lot of uh, mask restrictions. We did have a, or they did have a funeral home uh, viewing and so forth and little, little goings on there, but not a real memorial service. <laughs> they were waiting to do that till you know, the restrictions were lifted and people could come and freely, you know, participate. And that also entailed then waiting till um, school was over because, you know, relatives were uh, grandchildren and so forth were at college. 
anyway, we uh, they finally settled on a date, and we did that last Friday at our church, and just um, and the place was packed out with um, relatives and friends, mm-hmm. and a real good opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, get the gospel out and just you know remember his life and um, like a lot of people are, call them today, uh, his wife called this a celebration of life and. Amen. And the fact that he's saved, you know, we can celebrate that and uh, look forward to going, uh, you know, meeting up with him again uh, up in heaven. Mm-hmm. He, this particular individual, uh, Brother Mike Logel, he um, had, he, he liked to preach. Um, he was he was preaching over at Fellowship in Akron for a good while. Uh, and uh, also, you know, we had him preach um, more than once at our church and sing as well. He loved to sing. And so part of the service, I was able to put on a recording uh, right there toward the end of it. Um, my message, that is. Yeah, and and has put on a recording first of him singing and then uh, a little clip that included, you know, a bit of his testimony and um, some other things. And, you know, it, it was able, the people were able to hear him. And I know they weren't expecting that, but it was, it, it, it was pretty powerful, Amen. I believe. Um we could see the Lord getting a hold of folks. And there were a lot of Christians there, and then there were a good number that weren't. And uh, there's one individual that's reached out and wants to talk more. And uh, I won't give any more details, but just ask that you'd pray that, that mm-hmm. we would indeed be able to connect. We're, we're trying to trying mm-hmm. to connect on the phone, and schedules are a little bit difficult with um, his work schedule. So I, wanna, I want you to pray we, we would connect before this whole thing wears off and he, he forgets about it. Amen. And uh, I, I meant to mention it to you before we started the podcast. I happened to be on the internet Friday, and um, I just, I think your uh, your church came up, and I tuned in to the very end where I heard him sing and, and do a little of a preaching testimony. And uh-huh. and even though I didn't know him, it was really a powerful blessing. It was really, just really well done. It's great to hear you know, his testimony Amen. of being saved and... It's love for the Lord. So. Yes. One of the unique parts of that testimony was him and his wife got saved within three days of each other. Yeah, amen. And in different places, different circumstances, neither one of them knew it, mm. and neither one of them told each other <laughs> until about <laughs> three days later and one night, uh, you know, they're, they're going to bed, and, and she says, um, you know, uh, I got something to tell you. And he said, well, I got something to tell you, too. And she says, you go first. She says, I got saved. Amen. And she says, I got saved, too. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. so it was awesome. Well, that's a great way to start that, too, you know, that life together again. Amen. And with the Lord. Amen. Well, good to have an update with everyone. And, you know, one of the things that we've been doing is a um, a segment called the sword versus the spear. And I think last time as we closed out, I, I started calling it the sword versus the spirit. And Pastor Strobe said, nope, that's not it. It's the sword versus the spear. <laughs> but um, what we do is we take a look at the new translations and um, whether it's the you know NIV, the ESV, or any number of the new translations of the Bible. And we compare it to the King James and we see what the differences are. And you might be surprised at what is taken out, what has changed. 
I know I was when I first you know, found out about this. So we're going to do a little uh, segment that we call the Sword versus the Spear. Hello, welcome to the Sword versus the Spear, the game show that pits the King James Bible against new translations. And you know, they say the new translations are more accurate, they're easy to understand. Well, we're going to find out if, in fact, that is true. So today we have joining us the Bible, well, actually rejoining us, the Bible used by the Jehovah Witnesses, and that is the New World Translation. And the New World Translation will be joined and going up against the King James with the ESV, the English Standard Version, which has been touted to be very accurate. But we're going to find out right now. So you at home, if you have another Bible other than a King James, or use your King James if that's the Bible you have, which I'm glad you do. Um, But if you have something else, play along and see how it goes for the Bible that you might have um, with you there. All right, so we're going to start off with our first scripture reference. We're going to take a look at 1 John 5, verse 7. Again, that's 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And we're going to ask King James, if King James, the King James Bible, what does it say for the 1 John 5, 7 reference? For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Correct answer, King James. That's exactly what the Holy Bible does say. So let's go to the New World Translation. Now the Jehovah Witnesses use this Bible, and they go door to door, and um, we thought, you know, they would give them another chance because they struck out last time with absolutely no correct answers. So they came back to, to try again. They knocked at the door, and uh, so we said, sure, we'll, we'll give you one more shot here. So um, New World Translation, Jehovah Witness Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Well, I think I'll do better on this one. I'm, I'm glad for the invitation to come back and, and uh, give this thing. So you said 1 John 5, 7, right? Yes. Let's just, let's right. just, be, let's just be clear. Nobody invited you back. <laughs> <laughs> you knocked on the Wait door. Wait a minute. You, you knocked on our I door. I invited on your own. myself back. I came knocking at the door. <laughs> That's it. Go All ahead. Right. Give it your first John five shot. seven. Well, this is this is gonna this is gonna prove to be good here. For there are three witness bearers. Is that That's it? The same thing, isn't it? And, is that all you and, got? And well, that's all there is. That's all there needs to be, right? I'm sorry, that's an incorrect oh, answer. come on. And uh, King James, why is that incorrect? I w- can we do this? Let's, let's, let's see if ESV can do any better, All right. and then we'll, we'll, we'll give a, Good point. a shout out there. ESV, are you ready for the reference of 1 John chapter 5, verse 7? Well, you know I'm ready. I'm from the <laughs> South, and we're from the Bible Belt, and you know the South— I know some people don't think I got the right accent, but it's not making me laugh, all right? All right, First John 5, 7, for there are three that testify. Is that and? it? That's it. What are you talking about? All 
right. Very similar to what the uh, New World Translation left out and had to say. So now, King James, if you could show the difference. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, ESV, your buckle has done slipped off, slipped off your Bible belt. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it strange how the ESV and the New World Translation make a similar error? Amen. What these versions have done, and by the way, if you've got an NIV, look it up there too, because they, the, they do the same essential thing, and uh, no doubt many of them. But what they have essentially done is they have left out verse number 7. And they took the first part of verse number 8, reworded a little bit, for the first part of verse number 8 says, and there are three that bear witness. And they put that as verse number 7. And then they continued on verse number 8 with the, uh, with the rest of verse 8. So let me ask if um, one of you would just read verses 7 and 8 together. And while they're doing that, you watch verse number 8 in your King James. All right, I'll give it a shot. For there are three witness bearers, the spirit, this is verse 8, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now I'll read verse 8 from the King James. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So what they did is they took verse 8, divided it up into two, so that you would still think they had verse 7 in there, in this case, when they didn't. Good, honest people. Well, I'm sorry, there's no points for the New World Translation used by the Jehovah Witnesses, and there's no points for the English Standard Version, which I had someone tell me it's much more accurate. The scholars have really um, you know, done their work on this one, and this is the Bible that we should be using. <laughs> Yeah, so they really did their work on it. Yeah, they, they worked it over. <clears throat> so, it took my breath away. <clears throat> so, let's move on to um, our second scripture reference. We'll see if the New World Translation or the ESV can do better on this one. And uh, we're going to do 1 Timothy 3.16. And why don't we have New World Translation go ahead and do... Read 1 Timothy 3.16. All right. All right. Here we go. First, 1 Timothy 3.16. Indeed, the sacred secret of this godly devotion is admittedly great. He was made manifest in the flesh, was declared righteous in spirit, appeared to angels, was preached about among nations, was believed upon in bracketed the world and uh, say was received up in glory. Hmm. Seems like that's pretty good. Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna move on to ESV and and see what ESV has for his uh, scripture reference for First Timothy three sixteen. That's right. You know I'm better than that. All right, First Timothy three sixteen. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen of angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And for both glory. of you, both of you get this response. Why? Well, we're going to have King James read uh, 
1 Timothy 3.16 and, and explain why both of you are incorrect. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All right, King James, if you could uh, perhaps explain to our <clears throat> new uh, translations here w- what the problem is. What you see right there as you introduce the whole subject is they take out the word God and replace it with the generic pronoun he. So in so doing, you lose the reference once again to the Godhead. First um, John 5, 7 is attacked because it's the greatest verse in the Bible on the Trinity, or the Godhead, and which are the which are the same thing. God's three and one, one and th- one and three, and then the same thing here. God was manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, justified in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and of course God mentioned right at the beginning, God the Father. There's all three of them. Amen. So so you lose the reference to, in particular, right from the beginning, uh, the deity of Christ. Amen. Yes, because. We all are manifest in the flesh. So to say he was manifest in the flesh isn't really saying anything. So, uh, sorry, no points for, again, uh, our second scripture reference for the uh, ESV or the New World Translation. But there's a third one we're going to look at now, and that would be Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And uh, we're going to start with King James this time. King James, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let's go back to the New World Translation used by the Jehovah Witnesses. How, how, do, you, how, do, how do you present that uh, verse in your Bible? Well, this is what it says. Therefore, Jehovah himself will give you men a sign. Look, the maiden herself will actually become pregnant, and she is giving birth to a son, and she will certainly call his name Emmanuel. Mm, okay, there's a, there's certainly been a change there, too. We're going to wait to talk about that until we check in with ESV. ESV, what does your Bible say for Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? All right, here it goes. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right, now let's go to King James. What, what is the problems with uh, the, these new translations? Well, you know, when you take, um, I'd like to just refer, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe New World Translation is starting to see his issues. So I'm going to give <laughs> this to him. You starting to see any issues with that New World Translation? Um, well, maiden, <laughs> maiden, is that what you're talking about? Being a maiden? Look, look, the maiden herself was, will actually become pregnant. Is, is there something wrong with that? Well, the the word, the clear word in the King James is virgin. Oh, so we you got lose a problem a, then, huh? You lose a reference to the virgin birth. S- starting to see that New World Translation. 
Yeah. Yeah, I see the problem, but I still think this is okay. Oh, I thought maybe we'd have him. Yeah, maybe we'll get him on the next one. Okay. Now, what about He's the uh, what about the ESV? Did the ESV seem fairly accurate? Yeah, I got I got Virgin. At least I got a point. I got a point. <laughs> Can you read it first again, ESV? All right. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It does have virgin. The only thing that I would um, say it, it changes the article from an indefinite article in the King James of virgin to the virgin, which kind of points you almost more towards a Catholic flavor. Amen. As um, they make such an emphasis on uh, the Virgin Mary. The the difference when the Catholics call her a virgin compared to when the Bible refers to her as a virgin is is they refer to her as a perpetual virgin, saying that she never had children and maintained that virginity perpetually. And yet in the scriptures, you can see clearly uh, that Jesus uh, had um, brothers. Mary had other children and sisters. Amen. And um, um, I believe we can find that. Let me just see if I can pull it out for you. While somebody else talks for a moment, sure. I'll so, give you that reference. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess I maybe could give you almost a half a point there so far. Um, you know, you still didn't get a full point because of the the error that you've presented. Uh, but yeah, you know, well, at least I got something. This is the first time you've scored anything, and that would be a half a point because ESV did join us once before as well. Um, and New World Translation, you've struck out. The whole time you've been on the on the show here, I still don't see there's anything wrong. I mean, you know, it, it's basically got you know the basics there. You know, it's just it's all kind of there. It's just a matter of interpretation. You know, matter of interpretation. Mm-hmm. But you know, how is that a sign if a just a maiden or a a young girl, you know, um, gets pregnant with a child that? That's happening all the time. That doesn't seem like it's a sign, does it? I don't it? think that makes any difference. I mean, you know, you guys are being so technical. I think, you know, you just have to float with it, you know, just <laughs> kind of interpret it on your own for yourself. You know, that's that's what everybody else is doing. Yes, yes. They're not comparing Scripture with Scripture and, and looking at it honestly, are they? King that's James, are, are you ready yet? Uh, yes, the reference I was referring to is Mark 6, verse 3. It says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So that gives Jesus um, six, at the minimum, six siblings. Four brothers are named. And so there's five boys, including Jesus, and sisters is plural. So there's at least two, very possibly uh, more. Amen. So Mary at least uh, has six children after she has Jesus. Now, King James, I've heard it said that some people say, well, it doesn't mean those are his actual, you know, brothers and sisters. It just means there's some kind of relation. uh, This would be a good place for um, that clip that you like to play. Um, you're just talking. You read that in a newspaper somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let, let me get to that one here. You're just talking. You read that in the newspaper someplace. <laughs> crazy nuts. Oh, there you go. 
that's that's about it. You know, Mary was this is this is in Jesus' lifetime, and and these are his. He's a son of Mary, and he's got these brothers and got these sisters. Mary's still alive when Jesus is crucified. So, you know, we're supposed to think that she just went and adopted all these people? <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's its another, it's any old port in a storm is what it Amen. is. Amen. Well, unfortunately, that still leaves, um, uh, key, uh, sorry, New World Translation with absolutely no points. And we're going to we're going to be kind we're going to be kind and and give ESV a half a point for a, for an effort there trying to be accurate but still woefully behind the uh the King James Bible but it's not over because we have a, do have a bonus question and the bonus scripture reference is Matthew chapter 18 verse 11 so Matthew 18 verse 11 let's go to the New World Translation which has no points so far and if you would read for us from the New World Translation, Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. All right, Matthew 18, verse 11. Here we go. That's it. What do you mean, that's it? That's it. What's There's nothing it? there. It just has a dash. It has 11 and a dash. Hmm. Well, that, obviously that is incorrect. Must not be needed. No, we'll see. Well, let's go to the highly touted, and uh, as people have said, though, the scholars really love the ESV, the English Standard Version. Let's see what they have for uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Yeah, yeah, Matthew 18, 11. Yes. Hmm. Yes. You know why the scholars like us? Because we're from the South. We got good, <laughs> good fried chicken. We got... We got, what else we got? We got a lot of good stuff. Yes, but what about a accurate Bible? Well, Matthew good st- chapter 18, verse 11. Right. Nope. What do you mean, no? Mm, we, no. <laughs> that means you don't have chapter 18, verse 11. <laughs> No, sir. How are you supposed to be more accurate and, uh, you know, so easy to read if there's nothing there? Uh, anyway, you know, less to read, like I say all the time, less to read. It's true. There is less to read. Well, let's go to our reigning champion, King James. Do you have Matthew chapter 18, verse 11? Yes. Matter of fact, uh, I do. It says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Amen. Boy, I'm glad King James didn't leave that verse out of the Bible. And our studio audience is happy too. So our final tally is New World Translation for the Jehovah Witnesses with absolutely zero points. The ESV with a, we were generous, half a point. And still the reigning champion, undefeated, authorized version. Well, that's all the time we have for today for the sword versus the spear. Join us again next time, Lord willing, when we'll take a look at the King James and how it stacks up with these, I guess you could call them Bibles. That's what they're calling them. These new translations that are presenting themselves as Bibles. Until then... We'll see you then.
All right, and that is the sword versus the spear. All right, studio audience, you can leave now. Ready for the the study here. And um, I, I would imagine some folks have no idea what the topic of Noah, Daniel, and Job is going to be about, so they've been waiting patiently. So let's see, Pastor Strobel, are you ready? Yes. All right, here we go. I'm going to begin by reading a portion of Scripture from the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 14, if you'd like to follow along. Ezekiel, chapter 14. One good thing about a podcast is uh, you can pause it and while you're looking up um, Ezekiel 14. So Ezekiel 14, beginning in verse number 12. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land, and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine, and the noisome beast, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. And let's have a word of prayer. Father, I am thankful, Lord, for this um, avenue you've given us to uh, put out the Word of God in uh, this uh, podcast on That's in the Bible. And we thank you for all that's in the Scriptures, Lord. And we continue to uh, go through it and mine things out of it. And I pray today uh, the study would be like that for somebody that's tuning in, and that you would open our eyes and you would uh, teach us, Lord, uh, some things that we can uh, learn to understand you better and to serve you better and be better equipped and as a Christian and, and more exemplify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as lights out there in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. In the passage we read in Ezekiel 14, the Lord puts forth a few hypothetical scenarios Um, He does that to ultimately teach and prepare his people for a real scenario that would uh, be coming upon them. As he lays out the prospect, he mixes real details of that which would come against uh, a humanly impossible setting for their consideration. And the impossibility is what's going to make it hypothetical. Uh, He introduces the first scenario as a reality in verse 13 by saying, Son of man, when, when the land sinneth. Then in his subsequent scenarios, in verses 15, 17, and 19, the Lord changes his introductory word from when to if. So at the beginning of verse 15, uh, well, first of all, uh, in verse number uh, 13, he says, when the land sinneth. 
verse 15, if I cause noisome beasts, uh, verse 17, or if I bring a sword, and verse 19, if I send a pestilence. <laughs> so he, he talks about, at the beginning, something that's going to happen, and then he begins to mix it in with you know, some possibilities. Um, again, hypothetical situations. Now, what, what makes it really hypothetical, at least from the standpoint of the people listening to Ezekiel there at the time, <clears throat> is the introduction of these three characters, Noah, Daniel, and Job, into that equation. Uh, two of these three men had been dead and gone for a long time, uh, those, of course, being Noah and Job. Now, Daniel is likely alive and well at the time that Ezekiel writes this, being in the early years of Israel's Babylonian captivity, as Daniel, in the book of Daniel, <coughs> is there in Babylon uh, during that captivity. But with two out of the three of them dead for sure, <coughs> it is certainly hypothetical in the minds of the people that are listening, um, even though with God all things are possible. But, but what may have been hypothetical to that generation <coughs> will become very real to another generation uh, come the time of the Great Tribulation. Uh, if you look at, the, uh, at verse 21, uh, the ifs of verse 15, 17, and 19 that we just kind of went over, uh, they turn into a when in verse 21. Verse 21 again, Ezekiel 14. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Well, those things were mentioned earlier. The sword was an if in verse 17. Now the famine was already a when in verse 13. And then in verse 15, the noisome beast was an if. And verse 19 uh, the pestilence was an if, and now it's it's when. When I send my force or judgments upon Jerusalem, so the Lord's let him know, I'm going to do this. He went through it hypothetically with uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job uh, possibly being there with him. But now he tells him it's, it's going to happen. Uh, that's going to come to pass in some time, uh, at some time. And uh, it will. It certainly will, as the Lord says. If the Lord said it, you can bet on it. It's going to come to pass. Uh, and when that judgment comes upon the land... Uh, as the Lord described when he went and talked about Noah, Daniel, and Job, uh, it's going to be every man for himself. Nobody's going to be able to save another. If you have somebody with the righteousness of Noah or Daniel or Job there, uh, they're only going to be able to save themselves. They're not even going to be able to save them, their family. <laughs> Although Noah did back in the day, in this case, everybody's going to have to be righteous for themselves, and they'd better be right with God or else. So in Ezekiel here, when God wanted to sever three of his choicest saints to illustrate his point regarding the necessity of personal righteousness, he picked these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now these three men uh, were righteous before the Lord, and each of these three men were overcomers. So beginning with Noah, uh, let's consider what they overcame and then how they overcame it. Uh, number one, Noah... Uh, Noah overcame the world. In Noah's time, the whole world had corrupted themselves before God. That's why the Lord drowned it out. I mean, you can read about this corruption in Genesis uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> but at that time that the world was corrupt, the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, thank God that he did. Uh, thank God for the human race that he did, or the Lord might have wiped the whole entire lot of them out. <clears throat> but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and was able to save himself uh, his wife, his three sons, and uh, their wives as well. 
Noah, as I said, he overcame the world, that corrupt world. One of the Christian's main enemies is the world. It's been well said that the Christian is in the world, but not of the world. Uh, we would do well to remember uh, this, and we do well also remember and take heart to the words of a song that says and puts it like this. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We, we're in it. If you're saved now as a Christian, a born-again child of God, uh, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Your citizenship is in heaven. Uh, your home is heaven. That's why the Lord says we're ambassadors. We're down here on foreign territory representing uh, another country uh, up in uh, heaven and representing another king up in heaven, uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But but here we are in this world, and, and being in this world, uh, we've got to deal with it. We've got to live in it. And being in this world, we must interact with it and even make use of it. However, the Apostle Paul, he, he gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And leading up to the warning I'm about to give you, Paul had first said, um, he, 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 the, he first said, Brethren, the time is short. But he goes on to say, the following afterwards in verse number 31. He says that they that use this world, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit um, just to give you the, 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 the gist of it um, as opposed to the exact quotation, but get the quotation yourself in, uh, in the context in 1 Corinthians 7, 31. But he, but he explained in that verse, they that use this world should not be abusing it. As he says there, I believe, is they that use this world is not abusing it. So the people that are in this world should not be abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. He's trying to let you know that uh, the world that we're li living in isn't going to last forever. So even though you got to use it, you don't want to abuse it. We talk about things like uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and some Christians are guilty of world abuse. They just indulge too much in the things of this world. Um, things that do not profit, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Uh, but he that doeth the will of God, the Bible goes on to say, uh, abideth forever in another place. Matter of fact, I'll give you that here in, in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15, the Lord gives us another very um, poignant passage regarding this subject and a very enlightening passage, a passage that a number of Christians have uh, taken upon themselves to commit to memory which I'd recommend that you do as well. And it says in those verses, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We are not to be in love with this world. We're not to be in love with the things of this world. Uh, God's love is from a different world, uh, a heavenly uh, world. What's in the world, the lust of the flesh, uh, what that flesh desires, um, the lust of the eyes, what your eyes can see, uh, want, want to take and, and partake of, and the pride of life, you know, feeling so good about yourself and uh, aren't I something. That's not of the Father, it says in the, in the passage, it's of the world. And all that passes away, but what lasts forever is uh, when you do the will of God. Those are the things that you do that last forever. 
There's another little poem, also a song said, Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And Lord's telling you here, uh, you're not to, as a Christian, you're not to get too attached to this world because it doesn't last forever. And by contrast, the Lord tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, that ye in heaven have a better and an enduring substance. It's a substance that endures unto everlasting life, Jesus would tell us. Uh, therefore, it's also written again in Colossians chapter 3, in the first two verses there, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. There's a tendency for us, because we are down here in this earth, and we tend to just be so affected by that which we see, feel, hear, you know, taste, um, touch, all of our senses, uh, we tend to be earthbound. And the Lord, Jesus, came to set us free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And uh, you, ought to let your, you ought to cut yourself loose from this world as such and let your spirit soar up to the heavenlies and set your affection on things above. That which you love, that supreme affection ought to be on things eternal pertaining to Jesus and not on things on the earth. Second Corinthians 4.18 puts it this way. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right? We look not at the things which are seen. Of course, we, te- we tend to look at them, right? He, and what he's trying to let you know is, is certainly, certainly you're going to see them and you're going to look upon them, but don't get fixated on them. What should you get fixated on? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Interesting phraseology. He says we're not looking at the things that, that we see. We're looking at the things that we can't see. <laughs> well, how do you look in, at things you can't see? You, you do it through eyes of faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So through eyes of faith, we are looking at the things we cannot see, including Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. We get glimpses of God um, through the power of his creation. We get glimpses of God, as it were, especially through the revelation of the scriptures. And uh, that's where we come to understand through eyes of faith, though we have not seen him. And in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, whom having not seen ye love, and though we can't see these things, we know them to be true. His spirit is real and bears witness with our spirit. And we understand, and it's stated here in 2 Corinthians 4.18, for the things which are seen are temporal. That which you see with your, eye, with your eyes, it's all temporary. It's, it's not, the body is corruptible. The things on earth are corruptible. Uh, everything passed away, no matter how new. One day it's going to get old and wax old. And as far as this world is concerned, it's going to burn. It's going to burn. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 uh, tells you the, that it's going to burn. It's going to be on fire. Uh, it's going to the things, the world and the things that are therein, it's, they're going to be burned up. And uh, this stuff that we have down here on this earth just doesn't last forever. We read it in 1 John 2, 17, and the world passeth away. When somebody dies, that's, that's a term we use. They pass away. This whole world going to die. Uh, it's not gonna, this earth that we're on here, it's not going to last forever. In spite of what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, it's going to burn. It's going to burn up. And then God's going to give uh, a new heavens and a new earth that he's created. But this one, it ain't going to last forever. All you can see down here, temporary. That which you cannot see, that's eternal. 
Uh, one Christian lady said in, in regard to, you know, getting a, a grasp of these things, she said, uh, I wear this world like a loose garment. Amen. Uh, in other words, she, she didn't let it cling too tightly to her. And uh, we wear it like a loose garment, we, and we should all be ready to shed it at any, any time, because at any time the Lord could call us home, uh, either by death or the rapture, the sound of the trumpet. But uh, we're going to one day, uh, this robe of flesh that we're in, we're going we're gonna to drop it, and we're going to rise to seize the everlasting prize. If, if you're saved, you're going to do that. As I mentioned earlier, the, the world is a Christian's enemy. It is the Christian's enemy because it was Jesus' enemy. Don't ever forget Folks, don't ever forget, it was this world that put your Savior on the cross and had him executed. The world did that. Uh, and, and so, as the enemy of Jesus Christ, the world is also our enemy if we line up with Jesus. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It didn't know him, and, and it doesn't know us. They don't understand. They don't understand him. They don't understand us. And the world hated him, and and it hates us when we stand up for Jesus. And it's not like we're trying to be hated. It's just we stand up for Jesus, and and they're against Jesus. So they that the ones that are against him, they become against us. First John three thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised when it does, when you stand up for the Bible and you stand up for Jesus. Here's Jesus in John 15, verse 18, uh, beginning there. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. The fact of the matter is, this world has a hatred for Jesus Christ. It hated him while he was on the earth. It hates the thought of him now, even though some people... Um, become enamored with him um, at Christmas, and, and, and that's, that's a good thing. They get some hope, but um, a lot of times uh, before Christmas Day is over, they've forgotten all about him and on into their sin. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So, folks, listen, the world hates you uh, if you're saved. And I, I don't mean for you to be paranoid about it. I don't mean for, mean for you to walk around with a chip on your shoulder. I, honestly, I'm aware of it, but I, I don't let it um, trouble me because I go forth in this world, uh, you know, protected by the Lord with some armor on. And so, but, but you want to understand that when people do get upset with you for standing up for Jesus, that's why. Because inside, they, they got no use for Christ. Even if they go to church and call it church Christian, if they haven't been born again and they don't know Jesus Christ personally, uh, you'll see some of those same people getting upset when you take a public stand for Jesus Christ. And though the world hates you and be your enemy, uh, for, for these reasons, because the Lord's on your side, fear not, because God has also given you the means whereby you can overcome this world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're saved, inside of you is Jesus Christ. Really, inside of you, like inside of him, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You have inside of you the power that created this universe. You have inside of you the power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. You have inside of you the power to overcome this world. First John chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God 
That's being born again, born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine. What, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? That's how you overcome the world, by Jesus and by faith in Jesus. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Those things help you to overcome the world. What of this world? Uh, here's what um, it was described as in uh, Galatians chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 3. Paul says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. This present evil world. I mean, the Lord, uh, that's why he came to deliver us. Back in the time of um, Paul the Apostle, you know, within that first century A.D., he referred to this world then as this present evil world. It's gotten, oh, about 1,900 or so uh, more e evil uh, down through the years. I mean, if it was this present evil world then, I mean, I don't know what you'd call it now. You could call it that again, but it has certainly increased in, its, um, in the prevalent evil in this world. So what we got to understand is that this world system on this fallen earth is and always has been against God. Uh, the devil is called the God of this world. So don't be surprised when the direction this world takes against God and against uh, the Bible uh, it just flies in the face of what you're trying to do as a Christian. It, it it will. You just make sure that you don't follow the words direct the world's direction when it goes against God and against the Bible. And, and remember this. Um, I like to say this from time to time when I'm uh, preaching uh, to uh, our folks and and really you know anybody uh, that's there. But uh, remember, you don't have to eat everything the world dishes out, and it's going to dish out garbage. And you don't have to eat it. Where the world lines up against God and his word, the Christian is to line up against the world. Uh, many places the world lines up against uh, God and, and his word. Um, in, in practical activities of life. I mean, the world says it's okay to drink liquor. Well, the Christian should stand against this position and stand with God in the Bible. The world says it's okay to smoke. The uh, Bible tells us our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Christians should stand against this position with God in the Bible. The world says it's okay to put tattoos all over your body. The Lord tells you not to print any marks upon your flesh. I believe in Leviticus 19.18, if memory serves me correctly. The Christian then should stand against this position with God in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean you go pick a fight with everybody that's got tattoos. <laughs> you just understand you're not supposed to get them. And you're going to have to have grace with some other people uh, to try to bring them into a closer walk with the Lord or in, into salvation if they've never been saved. The world says it's okay for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. A Christian should stand against his position and stand with God and the Bible, which is against that position. The world says it's okay to, to smoke and otherwise ingest marijuana. Uh, the Christian should stand against this position with God and the Bible, which is against uh, intoxicating things in your body and uh, tells us to be sober. And on and on and on, the world takes positions that are against God and against righteousness, against holiness, against purity, against uh, the Bible, and uh, premarital sex, and just uh, prom promiscuity. 
um, you know, with, with people that um, outs- are not married outside of the sacred bonds of marriage. And, and, and the Lord says, flee fornication. So you need to find what God says and stand with him. And if you do that, you're just going to you're going to be contrary to the world. And again, it's not like we're trying to be. It's not like we're looking to be agonistic, antagonistic rather or contrary. We're just looking at the Bible and taking our marching orders from the Bible. Uh, back in the day when Brother Lester Roloff was battling the state of Texas over taking a, a license to uh, run his Christian uh, children's homes, uh, somebody asked him um, a question went something like this. Uh, Brother Roloff, why are you always running headlong up against the world? He said, because the world is going in the wrong direction. Amen. You know what the um, early disciples did? The Bible says they turned the world upside down. You know what they did when they turned the world upside down? They actually turned it right side up because it was already upside down. In James chapter 4 and verse number 4, we get this instruction. Yea, this command, this charge. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Lord, charging you there not to be a friend of the world. Now, this is different than being a friend of publicans and sinners like Jesus was. Jesus reached out to the lost. We're talking about this world system and what it puts forth and the pervasive spirit that is in this world of of just living in sin and, and doing as your flesh pleases and doing what you want and standing against God against his word. Again, what the what the Christians should remember is this. If they if they start getting too close to the world and, and they want to hang out with the world, they need to remember that when judgment comes upon them, it's likely to hit you as well if you're snuggled in close with them. So Noah, he overcame the world. Hebrews 11, 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah, uh, first uh, one that God mentions, overcomes the world. The second saint that God sets forth in Ezekiel 14 is is an example of an exceeding righteous man is Daniel. Daniel is also an overcomer. And while Noah overcame the world, Daniel overcame the flesh. Uh, Daniel in chapter 1, as um, a captive of... of, uh, uh, the Babylonians brought in with uh, some of the wise men of the Babylonians, him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were, whose Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, and Daniel was his Hebrew name. They would call him Belteshazzar. But um, da- Daniel and, and them were set forth, and they were um, given a portion of the king's meat and, and wine, and uh, they were supposed to partake of that meat and partake of that wine. And and Daniel knew this is something that he shouldn't do as a child of God. And the particular meat, uh, probably something that violated the Old Testament uh, dietary regulations, uh, like you get um, back there in the in the scriptures, uh, Leviticus uh, 11, I think. So, but but Daniel here, uh, the Bible says in Daniel chapter one verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel behaved um, with a meek spirit. Uh, he, he inquired and asked for permission and uh, was granted it. Now, knowing the character of Daniel, if he had not been granted it, um, uh, he just, I'm sure, would have gone ahead and, and not done it anyways. 
but but he was trying to be peaceable at first and 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 was allowed that um uh, request but he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't do it so he had already purposed in his heart he wasn't going to do it therefore he requested so again if if he's denied the request he's already purposed in his heart not to do so so he doesn't defile himself with portion of the king's meat nor with the wine that's the flesh and daniel overcame the flesh the flesh is another one of the christian's enemies uh, Daniel's example is another important example for the Christian to follow. You know the biggest problem you got in life? The biggest problem you got in life is that person you see when you look in the mirror. That's you. That's your flesh. Even if you're saved, when you look in the mirror, what you see is your flesh. And your flesh, um, according to the scriptures, if you're saved, is dead. Romans 8.10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Uh, the, 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 the flesh is dead, and yet it still walks around. It still talks. It still feels. It still uh, has desire. It still lusts. And, and the Christian being saved and born again, he's still stuck in a walking body of flesh and he's going to have to overcome its lust its temptations its sinful desires if he's going to have any spiritual victory any spiritual success you have to overcome your flesh and sometimes let's just face it sometimes as a child of god we overcome the flesh and sometimes we don't would to god that um uh one of these false doctrines that people put out is true and that is that once you're saved you you can't sin anymore at all now there's a part of us that can't that's the new man but there's part of us that can that's the old man and we got that old man and and if we didn't have the possibility of sin paul wouldn't have had to uh, give us such instructions uh to um not give in to sin like he he gave us and the scriptures wouldn't have to give us um instructions like um in first john these things write unto you that ye sin not when he goes in the same breath and says and if any man sin he have an advocate we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous because because we tend to sin even after we're saved now it's not that we have to it's that we choose to not that we have to it's sometimes we find um ourselves giving into the the weakness of the flesh and and that's what we have to overcome that's what daniel overcame I remember on one such occasion, it was um, my first year in Bible school in Pensacola, and man, my, I just, after a battle, I'd just given into the flesh, and I, I was mad at myself. I mean, I, I was just mad, and I remember going into my uh, bathroom where I was living. I was renting a little uh, travel trailer, actually, um, and I went to the bathroom. I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, as I looked at myself, stared myself right in the eyeball, I said, you're supposed to be dead. And, man, I, I, I went, I got the thing right as I could with the Lord and, and moved on. But it ought to trouble a Christian when he gives in to the flesh. If you got in a place where you can just indulge your flesh in sin and it not bother you, um, you're in a dangerous place. You might want to get along with God and ask him to help you to uh, be sensitive to sin again. And if you can't feel guilty, you might just want to confess it by faith because he said it, it was wrong. So the Christian, he's, he's saved, yes. And inside his spirit is, is that new man, that born-again part of him that cannot sin. 
but you also got that flesh that can. And so you're going to have to overcome. Paul said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul faced that classic struggle that the Christian uh, faces. He battled that flesh. We'll talk more about that in a moment, Lord willing. He battled that flesh, and, and, and by the grace of God, he, like Daniel, overcame it. And, and you and I, we need to overcome our flesh. <clears throat> your sinful flesh and that sin that your flesh craves, listen, it is not your friend. It'll whisper in your ear like it is. It, it'll get up close to you like it's your bosom buddy and lifelong pal. But the truth of the matter is, it is the enemy of you. and Your flesh, your enemy, it's the enemy of all your blessings and all your well-being and the good things that God wants to do for you. Here's a verse. I recommend uh, looking this verse up and committing it to memory as well. It's Jeremiah 5.25. And it says this, Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. Every time you give in to that sin, every time you give in to that flesh, You are robbing yourself of a blessing that God would have given you if you hadn't done it. Uh, Like someone said uh, and said, well, sin never leaves a man any better than when it finds him. That is, after sin, you've let sin in and is visited with you, when it leaves, um, you're going to be in worse shape after it's gone than you were before it came, always. And on top of that, you're going to have cut yourself out of some blessings that you would have appreciated and enjoyed because your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholding good things from you. Again, your flesh is not your friend. It's your enemy. You need to overcome it. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, the Lord talks about the works of the flesh. I'm going to read you this uh, list, beginning in Galatians 5.19. He says, Now the works of the flesh flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery. Fornication uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Now some of those, of course, are very obvious and some of them are less obvious and time would fail me during this podcast to elaborate on all of them. I recently went through them on Wednesday night uh, Bible study, actually more than one Wednesday night Bible study. Um, It took us, I believe, to get through those in our church as I'm going through the book of Galatians. But um, but there's enough in there to to help you to know that you're guilty about some things. Um, Wrath, hatred, certainly you battle, battle with that at times. Uncleanness, a lot of you with drunkenness. Probably all of us with envyings at times, strife, all those works of the flesh. And uh, in verse 21, as he gets to the end of the list, he's a, a, a pretty good size list, by the way, um, more than the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned afterwards. But he says, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then he says, just in case he didn't list yours and you're going to think you're going to get away with it, he says, and such like, and such like. God knows how Christians are. They go through that whole list and says, well, he didn't say smoking, you know, or something else, and and I guess it's okay. No, and such like. You know what the works of the flesh are. You know what that flesh wants that it shouldn't have. And he says, um, those things are works of the flesh. And then he says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, 
that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to miss out on blessings. In this case, the eternal rewards, this being the reward of the inheritance, not salvation, but uh, the reward of the inheritance. Like he talks about, uh, believe again, in Colossians 3.24, the reward of the inheritance. You're going to miss out on reward. You're going to miss out on that inheritance. You know, we get, there's one inheritance we get just because we're saved. Uh, Peter talks about that. And then there's another inheritance we earn uh, because of, of being what the Lord wants us to be and doing what the Lord wants us to do. And if you spend your Christian life indulging the works of the flesh, what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to have piled upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, wood, hay, and stubble. Those are all dead things, like the dead works of your flesh, and they're going to be burned. And you're going to miss out on the reward of the inheritance, the gold, silver, and precious stones, and the crowns you could have obtained uh, at that judgment seat of Christ. So we got to do battle. Galatians 5.17 talks about that battle. It says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so this is why people a lot of times do wrong. Like um, it was said uh, by Jesus to Peter, he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus didn't tell Peter and the apostles that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't tell them that to give them an excuse for, for sleeping on the job. He gave them that as a warning so they would overcome it and overcome the flesh. And when we look at Galatians 5.17, a lot of times we think, oh, yeah, that's, that's why I can't do right because that flesh, it, it's just, it keeps me from doing right. And while that's true, that's not the only thing the verse is saying. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Depending on what kind of spiritual shape you're in, your flesh, when your your flesh and spirit do battle, your flesh, if it's stronger, it'll overcome the spirit, and and you'll do things that you your spirit doesn't want you to do. However, if your spirit is stronger, it'll overcome the flesh, and you'll and and you'll be doing the things that your flesh doesn't want you to do. So it depend, depends on which one's uh, stronger. Uh, somebody put it like this: two forces beat within my breast. The one is cursed, the other is blessed. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. If, if you just feed the flesh and feed the flesh and feed the flesh, your spirit's not going to be strong enough to overcome it. But if you'll deny the flesh and feed the spirit and feed the spirit and feed the spirit, then your flesh isn't going to be strong enough to overcome the spirit and your spirit's going to get the victory. It all depends on the choices you make. And so you need to fight it. You need to fight the good fight of faith and get victory over your sins. Like I told you before, if you're saved, that flesh is dead. You need to reckon it to be so. Romans 6, 11 and 12. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. It's your choice. It is a fight, but it's a fight that you can win in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, here's that battle Paul talked about, beginning in verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Even Paul fell in these matters at times. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. 
Amen. Have you found that law to be true? About time you want to do good, evil in your flesh rises up, tries to prevent you from doing what you should. But he says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I, dis- but I see another law in my members, that's the members of his flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing, the captivity, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then Paul, as I, I read this, I almost picture him just you know, pulling his hair out and throwing his hands up in the air and just frustration saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thank God the passage done in there. Verse 25, he, he says there, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So I'm saying there is victory. And the Christian, Philippians 4.13, has this promise, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So Noah overcame the world and Daniel overcame the flesh. And then there was a third saint in Ezekiel 14, and that is Job. Job, another exceeding righteous man. And he was also an overcomer. Job overcame the devil. Do I need to even tell you that the devil is uh, also one of the Christian's great uh, enemies? 1 Peter 5.8 declares it, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, for all that the devil puts us through, every one of us can be thankful that we have not gone through it to the same extent that Job had. Job did go through it. And Job emerged victorious on the other side. Uh, the devil was turned loose on Job, but um, even even though he was turned loose, uh, he was turned loose with certain limitations. God always put a limit on him, and uh, so it is when he gets turned loose on us. There's always a limit. He can only go as far as the Lord lets him, and however far the Lord lets him go, you should know that uh, God won't, according to First Corinthians ten thirteen, He won't give you more than you can handle. With the temptation, he will also make a way to escape, but you may be able to bear it. So with, even with these limitations, um, and, and, and you think about all that Job went through, I mean, and the limitations were there, but, but even in, so in a very short period of time, Job lost his wealth, he lost his health, and he lost his family. His children dying and, and his wife ultimately turning against him. Um, you know, she went through it too. I mean, that we can understand it, but, uh, but I'm saying Job, he, he lost it all, his wealth, his health, and his family. And, and losing any one of these things in life, I mean, any one of them, is considered a major life crisis. And then each additional one that, that you add to it, I mean, that, that increases the calamity exponentially. He lost them all in, in like moments, it, it, his, health, his wealth, his health, and his family. I mean, within within a day or so, it seems like as it's laid out in the scripture, all this was gone. And you know, I mean, the devil he'll he'll do whatever he can. He'll get away with that whatever he can get away with in your life. But again, don't ever forget God's ultimately in charge of the limits, and whatever God allows, God can help you to overcome. In Luke t- uh, chapter twenty-two, beginning in verse thirty-one, Jesus talking to Peter, it says, "And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat." And he does. I mean, he, he desires to have us. Um, we're, we're on God's side. He's against God. He's, he's an adversary to God. He becomes then our adversary. And he's seeking whom he may devour. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And Jesus told Peter, he says, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord was on Peter's side, and he's on our side. 
As he prayed for Peter, according to the scriptures, even now he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, we got Jesus on our side. And like the old preacher said, Bob Jones Sr., uh, if you got God on your side, you and God are a majority in your community. God can help you to overcome. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted of the devil. Uh, how did he overcome him? Don't miss this. By quoting scripture. And, and quoting it out loud, by the way. And one of the great tools you have for overcoming your adversary is the scriptures in the armor of God called the sword of the spirit. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus cast out the spirits with his word. And you want to deal with the, you want to deal with the, you're going to deal with the devil. Uh, I mean, you don't have to call him out and, and say foolish things about him um, and call him names. Quote Bible. Devil tried to mess Jesus up, say, well, you know, um, you know it's, it, it's written. And Jesus would come back, it is written again. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you got to get it down. He says, command these stones to be made bread. And the, the Lord would say, uh, yeah, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every uh, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Devil would tell him, you know, cast yourself down. Um, it's written, he'll give his angels charge over thee. And um, Jesus says, yeah, it's written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. <laughs> and regarding your dealing with the devil, learn a lesson from, from Jude, uh, one chapter in Jude, verse number nine. It says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, angels are greater in power and might than we are, but when he battled uh, about the body of Moses and battled with the the devil uh, and, and disputed with him about that. Uh, he didn't bring against him a railing accusation. He didn't call him names. He didn't call him, you know, old slewfoot, smutty face. He didn't say, yeah, go on back to hell where you came from, uh, Satan. No, he said, the Lord rebuked thee. And there's a place in um, Job where it says, uh, lay thy hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. And for those of us that have made foolish statements like that, uh, we remember the battle. I learned my lesson well. Uh, somebody says, uh, said, now uh, when the devil knocks at my door, I say, uh, Lord, would you go answer that? <laughs> That's the best way to handle it. The Lord rebuke thee. Turn him over to the Lord. We're given, of course, armor in this spiritual battle because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual weakness in high places. And finally, he said, my brethren, in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's how you're going to overcome it. And then, um, again, these, this would make for a whole separate study in itself, the whole armor of God, which, which we've gone through. But uh, let me close with this. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And that's the devil. That's what he does. And they overcame him, God's uh, people, overcame the, their adversary, the devil. They overcame him by two things, by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus' blood. Amen. And by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Speaking of word of their testimony, do you have one? Do you have a testimony? Victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Christian's uh, three enemies long um, spoken uh, about and, and instructed uh, 
regarding uh, Christian living, uh, victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil starts with salvation. If you haven't had the blood of the Lamb applied to your soul, blotting out your sins and um, allowing you to be born again, then, then you don't have the power to overcome. You're just um, like a puppet on a marionette string, uh, moving when the devil says move. And you need Jesus to overcome him. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I, I encourage you, uh, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart of repentance uh, over your sin and repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ and belief in his gospel, how he died for your sins according to the scriptures, shed that blood, was buried, rose again the third day. Call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you from your sins. And then uh, as a Christian, and um, probably talking to people that have been saved for a long time as well as some people that have been lost. As a Christian, a, a, the Christian must grow in grace and, and feed on the word of God so he can grow thereby, the sincere milk of the word, and be ready to resist the attacks of the devil and the world and the flesh. You've got to be ready to resist their attacks, for those attacks will come. And when you make up your mind to live uh, for the Lord, you incur the ire of your adversary, yea, and all that will of God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So don't be surprised about it. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. You don't have to worry about it either. You can be confident that you can have the victory, and the Lord offers you that victory in himself, in Jesus. So... Um, there's this, these are some lessons, and we should learn some lessons from Noah, Daniel, and Job. And uh, don't be overcome by the world, the flesh, and the devil, but rather overcome them by the grace and power of God with the tools that he has given you as outlined in the scriptures and the victory that he offers you in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Strobel. And, and what an admonition and encouragement for every Christian. Some great practical applications for each one of us as well. Let's go to the pastors, Pastor Matt. Hey Amen. Great study. You know, it just it really reminds me of, uh, especially you know, talking about winning the battle. You know, overcoming the world, the flesh, the devil. And uh, every time, I just can't stop but think about you know people in my life, other Christians in my life that I've known, and uh, they've they've lost that battle you know they're saved they're on their way to heaven uh but uh and for a while they were overcoming the world the flesh the devil but then you know they start to falter and wait you know waver and it always reminds me of second timothy four ten, where you know here is uh, demas and you know he was you know working right alongside paul you know one of the greatest christians that ever lived if not the greatest christian that ever lived and in second timothy four ten, it says for demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. And I think about that, and I think we all can think of at least one person, if not multiple people in our lives that were right by our sides, faithfully in church, you know, serving God. And all of a sudden, either they get out or we see the signs, the warning signs of them starting to get a little bit more into the world, maybe feed a little bit more of the flesh or allow the devil to you know, be able to get some victories in their life and things. And, and you see the warning signs and all of a sudden they're just out and they've departed. And it's just a sad thing. You know, the world, this world, a lot of times will try and, 
say that, hey, you can have peace if you just, you know, just go ahead and have a little alcohol or just go ahead and do a little of this or do a little of that. And uh, it's a false sense of peace that, that sometimes people get. They go back into the world like they were before they got saved. And, and uh, of course, John 4, 14, John fourteen twenty seven says, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I think uh, sometimes, you know, Christians, once they get saved, they get a little false sense of peace when they go a little bit back into the world or feed their flesh a little bit, let the devil get a little victory. But it doesn't last, you know. And, and, you know, I think back in my life, there was a period of time after I got saved, about maybe about 14 months, 15 months after I got saved, I, I started to drift back into the world a little bit and I was getting a little bit of peace, but then it didn't last. You know, only the, the peace that Jesus Christ can give is the only thing that can, that can give you that true lasting peace. Philippians four, six, and seven, you know, by prayer, uh, of course it's, it's trusting the Lord, uh, serving the Lord. And then verse seven says in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And, and it's only by uh, continually loving the Lord, serving the Lord. And, and again, you're saved on your way to heaven if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but there's, there's that peace when you're, when you're overcoming the world and your flesh, the devil. Uh, there's that peace that passes all understanding when you're not departing from the Lord. And In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And end of verse 29, and ye shall find rest on your souls. But again, that only comes, that, that full peace and rest only comes from when you're faithfully serving God and not, you know, giving over to your flesh and the world. And last verse here, John 13, 17, Christ says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And I think we all can think about uh, people in our in our life that we've seen, especially after now being saved and they're like a Demas, you know, they, they, they're either at that point where they're slowly drifting off into the world or the flesh and, the, and following the devil and they're starting to lose that peace. And, and, um, again, I know it in my life that that world, that flesh, the devil, they, they just want to destroy you destroy your happiness, your peace. And, uh, so I don't know, uh, like everybody else, I'm sure here, we don't want to be, you know, in the history of mankind and, and in the history books for eternity as a Demas, we'd rather be uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job. So, amen. 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 Pastor Steve. Amen. Uh, again, good study and uh, very exhaustive. Uh, so many things there. You know, that's one of those Bible studies that probably have to be listened to about three, four, five times before you can be able to really kind of get a hold of, of everything that was said there and, and all the great applications that were made. I think probably the, the main thing that I would I would draw from that would be maintaining the personal righteousness, which I think was, was what uh, the reference being to Noah, Daniel, and Job, uh, of anybody that on the earth could have, could have, uh, obtained uh, the right to go and be with God would have been those fellows, and and what they did is is uh, aptly said was that they maintained their their personal righteousness in the midst of of all of the uh, things that were going on in their lives, what they were uh, being faced with, the opposition that they were up against. And I think that's that's probably part of of the thing that that uh, each one of us face is that we're 
We may realize that our personal righteousness is important, but the pressure, the spiritual pressure that's put upon us to conform either to the world or to our flesh or to the devil, as, as it was already indicated, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the let's say with regard to the world, um, the world puts that spiritual pressure on us to conform. And whether it's the government that's trying to put pressure on you, as we've seen here in the last couple of years, just trying to put pressure on us, uh, even as Christians, to conform to things that aren't uh, right uh, according to the Word of God, or whether it's the loss that is trying to put pressure on us to conform to uh, its set of norms, or even Christianity uh, trying to set uh, put pressure on you to conform what they think the Bible is teaching as opposed to what the Bible is actually teaching. I know there's a lot of Christians out there, people that call themselves Christians, that uh, are, are applying pressure where we're told to go out and, and, and reach the lost. There's many people out there that are tell, telling us that we're doing it the wrong way. And, of course, their way is, is trying to get along with the world as opposed to doing it the biblical way. So that's just basically one example of that. And that, you know, that personal righteousness, that 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 fellowship with God is challenged every every day. And we're finding as pastors and and workers in the Lord, with the Lord, we're finding that Christians are are clinging closer and closer to the world all the time. Uh they seem to find uh, a comfort and a camaraderie or, if you will, fellowship with the world. And uh, instead of finding it from the Word of God and, and with, uh, with the saints, uh, the, the verse that Pastor Strobel mentioned and, uh, you know, fits aptly, aptly to this point, uh, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And of course, that's what Christianity is being lured into, either by bad preaching or these false Bibles that are pulling you away from, from, the, from the truth of the Word of God, the King James Bible. Uh, just they're putting a different priority. I don't mean to preach a whole other message here, but let me, let me say this. Uh, the scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That kingdom is not this world's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. So it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we're looking for, all the things that we need, shall be added unto you. And we're not supposed to worry about all the pressures that are coming upon us. We're supposed to, to look for God, seek for Seek God, seek that righteousness that that uh, He's uh, uh, shown us in the Word of God and through the preaching of the Word of God, and everything will take care of itself. I mean, I think we worry too much about all these worldly things uh, and and so forth, and it just really is is unnecessary. I mean, we're supposed to be thinking on things above, as He's already indicated, instead of things of this earth. And let me just add this, just in, in light of that, you know, we, look, we as Christians see this uh, difficulty in, in trying to maintain that personal righteousness and, and so forth. 
But as Pastor Strobel indicated from the very beginning, the allusion to this, what you find there in Ezekiel chapter 14, are, are references to the tribulation. And just as we're facing pressures to conform, uh, just imagine what those pressures are going to be in the tribulation to conform to the devil. And, and at that time, if a believer turns back away from the righteousness, the personal righteousness, he'll lose his salvation. And he'll be condemned. And uh, that's that's something that you ought to consider. If you're lost here now, uh, you ought to get in on get in on it while the getting is good, because it is good. Amen. Because if we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior now, we have what the Bible calls, or what we call, eternal security. We have the sure mercies of David applied to us. That even if we mess up. God's going to bring us home. We're children. We're sons of God. And uh, those in the tribulation don't have that term. They don't have that moniker on them as being sons of God. And so uh, I'd urge anybody that's that's listening to our voices, listening to this podcast, that if they're not saved, they get saved real soon because the jumping off place time is, is really close at hand. And just seeing all the things that are taking place in the world, I'd do it right now. I wouldn't wait at all. So just praise the Lord. Great, great lesson. And uh, hopefully people will take take advantage of it and listen to it again and make application in their own lives. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't think there's anything I can add to what's been said here today. Uh, Again, thank you, Pastor Strobel, for the study. All right. Amen. Well, Lord willing, we'll see everybody again on the next episode of That's in the Bible. Humbling your hearts to God, sage from the chastening rod, seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon, many will many will meet their doom, trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Troubles will soon be o'er, happy forevermore, when we meet on that shore, free from all Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Go 